You can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. And I would invite you to look at verse 13. We'll read from there to the end of that paragraph. As a good way of being discerning Bible students, we'll read the paragraph to keep everything in its context. Romans chapter 14, and we'll read in verse 13, where the word of the Lord says, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ, is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. You can be seated, and children, if you would like, you can be dismissed uh, to Children's Church. We're going to spend time again today hearing from the word about applications for gospel living, transformed gospel living. As it relates, especially today, to that gospel living that we do in a community with each other, I would propose that gospel living is easier to do on an island than it is in a community. That's Romans chapter 14 and 15. It is not just telling us how to live out this gospel life, it's telling us how to do it together, which can be delicate. The stewardship of our liberties, our freedoms that we have, are in fact more than just choices through the day, they are worship opportunities. What we do with the freedom that we have in Christ. What I mean by that is, for instance, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we read there the definitive declaration that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. All things are lawful, Paul says elsewhere. Even though they're not all good for me, they're not illegal. That leads us to liberty. What choice will we make? And you need to understand that the choice you make is bigger than just the... advantages and disadvantages, it's a worship opportunity. And because it's a worship opportunity, then it becomes vitally important that we all be mindful of building up each other as we all in some way could be described as weaker. It's vitally important that we build each other up patiently as we walk together in charity. So the title for this sermon, and it's only going to be these two verses, The ministry of upbuilding. The ministry of upbuilding. Because 
What you choose to do with your liberty is a worship opportunity then upbuilding weaker brothers is vitally important because we're not talking about a difference of opinion only. We're talking about worship. And it's necessary that everyone worship according to spirit and truth. So the choices matter as they're linked with worship. So in Romans chapter 14, here we have another section of Romans that's giving instruction in gospel living. I would suggest that, let's just spend a moment thinking about what we've already seen in Romans 14. It seems like there are two reoccurring themes, topics that keep coming up. The first one is worship. And the second one is building up. So just look at verse 6. Romans 14, verse 6. Whatever we do, do it to honor the Lord. It's a worship issue. Look at verse 8. We live as to the Lord and die to the Lord. Look at verse 10. Christ has died and lives. And in verse 11, every knee bows to him. Worship issues. Look at verse 17. The kingdom of God is what we should be focused on, not the individual choice. Worship is an issue in this chapter. It has to be the theme that frames our conversation about how we steward liberty. Because we are responsible as stewards before the Lord, it's required in stewardship to be faithful, you have freedom. What will you do with it? Well, if we're immature and undiscipled or weak, we will missteward that. So, look at verse 1. Welcome the weak. Don't ostracize or isolate. Bring them into the conversation for discipleship. Not as a way of arguing or debating, but as a way of growing up in Christ. Look at verse 13. Do not put an obstacle in your brother's way. We're to build them up, not cause hindrance. Look at verse 14. He says, I know, and I'm actually persuaded in the Lord... However, some people think differently. He says, I am positive. In the Lord, I'm positive. But there's some people who are not there yet. So we're reminded that there's a theme of building each other up. Look at verse 15. Walk in love so as not to destroy the one Christ died for. While we work at building each other up, We must be patient and walk together in charity. So today, we hear the word of the Lord instructing us to serve Christ as worshipers. God accepts worshiping Jesus. And then second, serve in a way that builds mutual peace and upbuilds each other. So I have two points. The way that we operate If it is worship to Christ, the choices you make, the way you steward liberty, if you're serving in a way that magnifies Christ, God describes that as acceptable service. And serve in a way that builds unity and builds each other up. So those are the two themes. It's verse 18 and it's verse 19. It's worship, it's Christ-directed and focused, 
God says that's a good way to operate. And then it's service, it's build up each other. Those are my two points. Let's look at the first one. Verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So the point, the the way I'm going to shape my statement about verse 18 is this. God's priests, I'd take you back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, which I'm going to do in a moment to explain why I chose the word priest. God's priests serve as Christ worshipers. Okay? So he says right away, whoever thus serves Christ. What does he mean, thus? Whoever thus serves Christ. Well, we read it a moment ago. It's in verse 17. So here's the question. Do you operate according to the distinctions of peace, I'm sorry, righteousness, and peace and joy? Do you operate with each other, the way that you minister and labor and walk your Christian testimony? Would someone look at it and say, wow, that is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, okay? So serving Christ is the broader context of this passage, right? Let's go back to Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 1. Between Romans 11 and Romans 12, there's this huge, pivotal moment, this fulcrum that just everything tips into the application from all of the doctrinal discourse, so much into this really stark contrast of, okay, therefore, therefore, the question of, is God righteous, has been answered. The key witness to the righteousness of God is what we call the gospel itself. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Therefore, because that is who God is, Brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies living sacrifice. Be both the priest and the sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but rather, as this doctrinal truth has poured over your mind, be transformed by renewed mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? What is God's will? Be priests, offering yourself living spiritual, living sacrifice as a worshiper. As priests, we serve God out of an assurance that grace is what affords us righteousness. So here's the, here's the issue. Here's, here's the simple truth about why that's important. Sometimes we serve as a way to make God happy. I don't think that's really pleasing to God. Because if I serve by the strength of my hands as a way to make God happy, where is Jesus in that? Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So the first mark of our service as priests doing this spiritual worship is we do it out of an assurance that it's not required for God to be happy. 
Second, as a priest, we have peace in this new relationship with God because of Christ. Third, as a priest, we have the joy of assurance by the Spirit of God that we now can serve God in an acceptable way. Um, Let me just ask you, you'd have to look ahead to find the answer to this question. Is it possible to vigorously, even appropriately, serve God? Uh, is Is it possible to please God with all sorts of active service if you're not in Christ? In other words, is there such thing as a good deed done by any person apart from Christ? The answer is no. We are going to read later in Romans that without faith in Christ, it is impossible to please him. Impossible. God is not honored by us cleaning up our filthy rags. God is honored by us saying, ours are filthy, but Christ has interceded. Paul has made it clear that as we have all been ransomed, we are now enlisted. (laughs) He's already made that clear. Let me just use the book of Romans to point that out. 15 of the 18 times when the Bible talks about serving God in the New Testament, 15 of the 18, it's Paul. But let me just use Romans. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin, in Romans chapter 6, Paul describes as the Spirit led him to say, you weren't just a person who did bad things, you were the slave of bad things. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end is eternal life. You're slaves of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in your zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. And then in our own chapter here, Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls. And he will be upheld. The Lord will make him stand. Paul makes it very clear that as all of us who have been ransomed out of bondage to evil have now been enlisted in the service of righteousness. So what compels us to serve? What motivates what we do? And the point is, we have this opportunity, as the word's ministering to us, the point is that if we take some inventory and say, I serve because, and if at the end it's not truly Christ-focused ambition, this passage tells us that it's not pleasing to God. Listen to 1 Peter 4. Each person has received gifts, right? The, The resurrected Christ has given gifts, equipped his people, and in those gifts, we use them to serve each other as good stewards of God's very grace. Ephesians 6. We do not serve, and this, I think all of us, all of us are in danger of this. We do not serve 
in way of eye service. In other words, people pleaser. But we serve as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Not for what people will say about us, but as to the Lord. This is the will of God. The person whose service is acceptable to God is a person who is serving as to Christ. He says, anyone who serves Christ, Christ, that's the living sacrifice of service that we read in chapter 12. Service to Christ. The word is doulos. Anyone who serves Christ. The slave of Christ. The person who serves as to Christ pleases God. Look at verse 16. Chapter 14, verse 16. The person whose motive and object and ambition is Christ pleases God. And their good is rewarded. But look at chapter 14, verse 6. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. So let's, let's take a minute. I'm going I'm to give you about 60 seconds of just real practical street level. When it comes to stewarding your choice, you can do it in a way that discourages a brother or sister in Christ. That is your good choice, your freedom in the gospel being evil spoken of. Or you can serve and function in corporate life in a way that is always oriented to Christ and this pleases God. So, see, it's not about what you choose in your freedom of choice. It's not about saying, well, I choose to abstain from that or I choose to participate in that. It's ultimately about orientation of your worship. Is it Christ-oriented choosing? Now, that doesn't solve every question. I feel like for about the third time in chapter 14, I want to stress, there is no simple myopic solution of saying, yeah, pastor, I want to be Christ-honoring so I avoid everything that could potentially be linked to something that could someday be called bad. I don't think that's the simple way to honor Christ. By saying, well, the shed blood of Christ has been pretty good, but I better be careful. I don't think that necessarily is the simple answer to what should I choose today. You know what's amazing to me? (laughs) Like being Christ-focused, being approved of God, like, yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, the triune Godhead magnifying each member, right? There's no selfishness in the triune Godhead. That doesn't surprise me that if our service is oriented to the Lord, like I'm going to be a priest who who magnifies the fame of Jesus. And God says, that's good work. That doesn't surprise me. But you know what does surprise me? The end of verse 18. That if I operate in a way that magnifies the fame of Jesus, it'll be approved by men 
That really surprises me. The word approve means that it will be able to stand the test. So what this means is that this service survives a test and should be approved by every fellow man, believer and unbeliever alike. Wow. That seems hard to even accept, doesn't it? Like if I'm, if I'm Jesus-oriented in my function, unsaved people are going to say, oh, that's, that's good. And honestly, if it were just this verse, I would wonder if I was reading it right. But listen to a commentary on that verse, a cross-reference, 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live, then, as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Put to silence the ignorance of foolish people by living Christ-oriented. Can you see the picture? So you're truly, honestly, Christ-oriented. You're not, you're not trying to make a name for yourself under the banner of Jesus. But you're truly Christ-oriented, and then along comes some ignorant fool who denies that there even is a God and looks at you and says, oh yeah, well you... Ah! Right? You see that person? Like their bullet, their gun is out of bullets. Put to silence the ignorance of foolish people by serving out of ambition, out of priority, out of joy in Christ alone. Exalting Christ is pleasing to God. There, when you talk about those things that are at the heart of the gospel message, this is one of them. Those things that are at the heart of the gospel message. God is happy when we operate in a way that magnifies Christ. That is at the heart of the God. That's not just a true thing. That's at the center of true things. Take your Bibles and go back to Romans chapter 8. One of my favorite passages uh, in in this explanation of the gospel is Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. Romans 8, 28 says this. We know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Why is that the case? Because out of its context, that sounds like God is infatuated with me. Man. He just makes it all go well for me. Everything's coming up, Rob. But there's more. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to Jesus. Oh, so the everything that's working out for me has a Jesus reason. To be conformed to the image of Jesus in order that, here's a purpose clause, here's why the whole thing happens, that Jesus might be the firstborn among all the brethren, the firstborn. Ah, that's, 
you need, to, you need to make a cultural distinction there. The firstborn is not that he's the oldest one in the group. The firstborn is that who? The firstborn, the rightful heir, the one who is most regarded and esteemed. He's the firstborn among all those who are the children of God. So why do all things work together for good to those who love God? Because there's a purpose. There's a reason. It's a Jesus reason that we would be conformed to him because imitation is the highest form of flattery. That Jesus Christ might be the most preeminent, the most magnificent, the most desired in all of creation. That is a glorious, liberating reality. That God would favor me for Jesus reasons, not me reasons. I mean, that sets your worship, that, that puts wings on worship. That, that launches my joy into the stratosphere. That God favors me for Jesus reasons, not me reasons. Because the reality is, if God's going to favor me for me reasons, he's going to run out quickly of reasons. But if God is favoring me for Jesus reasons, they never end. The storehouse never runs dry. So the first thing I want us to understand is that we are priests, right? Chapter 12, you're priests. And what's the priest doing? Worshiping. Worship God. Worship God. You want to worship in a way that God says, you're a good priest. Then prioritize, magnify, focus on, make your target Christ. Christ. Now, just practically one more word before I move on. You're in here and you're setting chairs up. Somebody was doing that uh, Friday evening. Friday evening about 4 o'clock. One of your friends from church was in this room setting chairs up. And there's two ways to go about that. One way is, I hate setting these chairs up. I can't see these dots. Why does this section have to be on an angle? That just makes it harder. This little row in the middle, I never get that right. That's one way to do chairs. <clears throat> there's another way to do chairs. You're stacking chairs... And you're thinking, I know the people that sit in this section. I pray that when they come and use these chairs that we've set out, that this little resource will be used to make their discipleship, their transformation to Jesus, more possible. More likely. More convenient. Less distracting. That's just one small... I mean, I could give hundreds of more potent examples of ways that we serve as to Christ... But that's just one really simple example that we can all feel right now. Let me quickly, I got, I got to get into the second point, and that is this. The service of Christ is service that leads to mutual peace and upbuilding of each other. So, more conversation about what I, I, I do want, I do want my priestly worship to be accepted by my God. How do I do that? Serving away. That leads to mutual peace and upbuilding. So verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Let us pursue a verb that indicates more than mild interest. It means my earnest application. Let's pursue. Let's put our head down and let's press forward for what makes for peace. 
not incidental, purposeful. I'm going to do things in the way that I operate in church that are going to lead to peace. And not, listen, not fake peace, but real peace. There's a lot of fake peace. Fake peace is when you don't say the truth in love and you go along with something that's error. That's fake peace. It feels like peace for a little while. Just give it a couple months. You'll find that it's not really peace. That thing will come back and rear its ugly head. Let us pursue what leads to peace. Now, okay, I want to have peace. When it comes to the gospel, what peace is most important? The peace that a sinner has with God, right? To be at peace with the judge. To be said, justified. There's no charge against you. Whew, peace. Okay, that's true. Is that the peace of this text? We know that it's the peace that's referred to in verse 17. So here, just a few verses later, is it still? I don't think so. But I could answer yes and no. As you operate with each other, brothers and sisters, as you fellowship, as you serve, as you are discipling and walking together, pursue peace. Why? How? Because the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy. You say, yeah, but that's the kingdom of God. (laughs) Right. Here's the way I would say it. Because... The kingdom of our God is righteousness and peace and joy. Then the currency with which all of the citizens of that kingdom operate is also righteousness and peace and joy. Like if if you want to trade in the market of God's kingdom, you have to use that kingdom's currency. You have to use that currency. We don't get to define cultural currency. This is how we'll operate with each other. We'll act like this. His kingdom, his currency. And we already read in verse 17 that it's peace. So let us pursue as consistent citizens of his kingdom what leads to peace. Leon Morris said this. It is the responsibility of those at peace with God to pursue the kind of conduct that will promote peace with each other. It is the responsibility of those at peace with God to pursue those things that promote peace with each other. So, first thing we have is this. If you're going to serve as to Christ in a way that God's that's good service, priest, make it be those things that produce peace, that build up peace. But then he adds to it. And mutual upbuilding. Another expression for the word, we sometimes use the word edification, to build up. A term that pictures construction of a building. Do you enjoy when when a building project's going on in your neighborhood? Isn't that fun? I like that. I mean, maybe not next door. But I I like when building projects, and you're driving by, and you see the project. That's that's fun to me. You see one day you drive by, and the, the lot's been cleared. And then a couple weeks, maybe a week later, you drive by and there's a foundation in place. Then you drive by and the shell goes up and all that happens so fast. Then it seems to sit there as you look at it from the outside and some of the inside stuff is being done. But that's exciting, right? That's the word. 
What builds up? Pursue that. That sort of maturing, transforming, developing. By the way, uh, build up to what? How many of you have ever been in a house that was being built? Would you raise your hand? Okay. How, how many of you have ever been a part of, maybe, maybe as the owner or a laborer, you've been a part of doing something that was being built, like a house? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I remember when my wife and I uh, first set out to have a, a house built. We had found a contractor that was going to let us do some of the sweat equity, and so we could afford that as a down payment. And... Uh, um, and the first thing we had to do was find a guy who would draw blueprints, right? So I found a guy who drew blueprints. I like blueprints. In fact, the blueprints to that house are in a frame in our basement, this first set of blueprints. And we had probably 30 copies. And those of you who know, the contractors destroy blueprints immediately, and they're all left out in the rain, and they're ripped, and they're thrown in the back of a truck somewhere. So we had about 30 copies. I have one that remains. It's in a frame. It's in our basement. Now, as we talk about our house being built, what do I expect the house to look like as it's being built? Like the blueprint, right? When we read in this passage, pursue those things that build up, what do we mean? We, we could get real cultural and say, well, I think, I think we mean pursue those things that make people happier. Pursue those things that make people feel Welcome. Pursue those things that build up means to be structured like the blueprints, which is Jesus. Jesus is the blueprint, right? We are to be transformed into his likeness, into the very image of God. We don't have time to go to Ephesians, but I would read for you that, that whole description of us being, being matured and growing up into the likeness of Christ. Paul saw the building up of Christians in faith as utmost importance. 1 Corinthians 14. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one of you has a hymn and a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Everything you do, focus on how does this build people up into Christ-likeness. Ephesians 4. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together. And equipped, 1 Corinthians 10, all things are lawful, but not everything builds up. So there's your liberty and what you pursue. You have liberty, everything's lawful, but not everything is going to make your brothers and sisters in Christ more like Christ. When we use liberty in a way that tears down, how is Christianity any different than humanism? Humanism. Do you know what humanism is? Humanism is the, is the worldview that says, uh, get all you can, can all you get, and burn the rest. I've shared that with you before. Get everything you can, put everything you got in a can, and burn everything you don't have because you want it and someone else has it. That's the, that's the general worldview of humanism. And when I take the very freedom I have in Christ, that I've been set free from the bondage and the debt of sin, and atone for under the blood of Christ, and I treat that freedom like some sort of selfish, self-satisfying pursuit. How is that different than humanism? 
How is the Christian testimony distinct? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you like an evildoer, they'll see your good works and glorify your Father on the day of visitation. How do we operate in a way that pleases God? Christ-focused, in a way that we're pursuing what unites us, so that what is true in our function will reflect what is true in reality, in eternal reality. And then those things that build up. So it's more than choices, right? It's more than liberties. It's worship. And because it's worship, we can't just agree to disagree about everything. We should be building each other up to the likeness of Christ and the way that we understand the gospel and all of its applications to our life. So let me just finish with these questions. How are you serving? Did you note that the text didn't call us to be serving, but it challenged us about the way that we serve? The serving is assumed. The serving is assumed, right? Romans 12.1, Therefore, because all that is true, you are priests, serving as worshipers to God. The serving is assumed, but my question for you right now is, how are you serving? Are you worshiping in your service? Do you prioritize the way that it builds unity and builds each other up? I would just warn you this. All the labor of a very busy schedule is fruitless, busy work if it doesn't honor Christ and build up his people. It's just a lot of busy work if it's not honoring Christ and maturing his people. Let's serve, us, let's serve that way because I don't want to squander the opportunity. I don't want to waste the day or the energy. I want to serve as a worshiper, as a priest, in a way that God says, that's good service. So let it be Christ-oriented and let it be those things that make my brothers and sisters more mature, more like Jesus, okay? And we can all put our hands to that. There is opportunity to go around, but then it's not wasted. It's worthwhile. Let's pray. Father God, as we have been reminded this morning that what we're talking about is not the choice of whether we handle this or taste that or go there. Ultimately, the way we choose those things is an expression of our worship to you. So as we make those choices, would you continue to minister to us by your spirit to cause us to have an overwhelming sense of confession that we make that choice in the very presence of our King. And that as we worship in his presence, the things we do should magnify and glorify him and be acceptable by you. So as we think about our fellowship together, the way that we interact, the way that we operate and work, our, our minds are, are weak and we forget things, things that even really matter. And I pray that for the generations to come, you would cause us to have a structured framework as we think about serving 
that is constantly evaluating, is this, is this producing unity? And is this producing maturity? As you've called us to do in Christ's name, amen.